I would like to thank everyone who supports this podcast. Because of you and the relationships fostered through the more than seven years of this show, David Bilbrey recently attended the Regen 18 conference to continue to explore the ways we can leverage capital to create a regenerative, permaculture-infused future. You can continue to grow and spread the message of permaculture by supporting this podcast. Do so on an ongoing basis at patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast, where you can receive access to episodes early, read the weekly update, and enter weekly giveaways. Or if you prefer, you can make a one-time donation online at paypal.me slash permaculturepodcast, or you can send something in the mail, the Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. In this short interview, David Bilbrey sits down for an in-person conversation with Kevin Jones, recorded at the Regen 18 conference in May 2018. During their time together, they discuss the meaning behind the phrase regenerative business, what the future holds as we transition to these new models, how this emerging economy seeks to care for Earth, relationships, and human communities, and some of Kevin's highlights from the first Regen 18 conference. Enjoy this conversation, and I'll join you again afterward. This is David Bilbrey with Ecothinkit.com and the Permaculture Podcast, and I'm here at Regen 18 with Kevin Jones, who is the co-convener and co-founder of Regenerative Economies, uh, Neighborhood Economics, and SOCAP, which is Social Capital Markets, and he's responsible for this beautiful event that we've been enjoying all week. Uh, Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, David. I'm glad to be here. So, uh, how did this whole thing come about? Well, for me, I was working with a business down in Mexico that was doing two things. It was creating massive indigenous wealth for the Purapecha people in Michoacan, and it was also doing the most scalable uh, reforestation in Mexico of anyone. Three times as big as the next project, and it had an 80% survival rate of the trees compared to 18. Wow. But I, and I got them in front of a family office. And the family office could not understand indigenous wealth. And when they said, you know, we are all about the trees, and then we are also uh, doing pine resin tapping in the area where the uh, monarch butterfly are spawning. So they love that. And they said, you know, when we look at people, we want to know, will they poach the resource we care about, and are they good labor? And if the regenerative forestry at scale was caused by indigenous wealth because that's why it's happening because we can pay the people to maintain the trees so that's why it's 80% survival versus 18 they literally had no place to put it on their spreadsheets they said how healthy is the ecosystem will the people be okay labor how much poaching will they do if the regenerative forestry is caused by the people not chopping down the trees because they make a livelihood out of the trees from the pine resin Mm -hmm. then they had no place to put it. They couldn't do the deal because they had to track that in order to invest in the forestry. And so I said, well, I need to give them a a way to look at the linking of indigenous wealth creation with scalable regenerative forestry. So we created this conference. It's beyond sustainability, beyond impact. Our impact investors from SOCAP could understand community wealth building, but they don't know how to evaluate an ecosystem. So there's something in between beyond impact, beyond sustainability, regeneration is what people have been calling it for a long time, coming Mm -hmm. back to life. So how did you get from forests in Mexico to starting a conference in San Francisco, though? 
I have been working with indigenous forestry projects for a few years. We moved to North Carolina. I started doing things with uh, the Eastern Band and Katua Cherokee. So I've started to, to, to appreciate forestry. <clears throat> and then there's a potentially massive project uh, right across the river from the farm where we live in, in Swannanoa, North Carolina, at Warren Wilson College, where they've got a, uh, a verifiably from seed replicated biomedicinal uh, thing in, in a forest of uh, 640 acres. And so the, the biomedicinals are more at home in southern Appalachia than anywhere because of our biodiversity, ginseng, golden seal, black cohosh. <clears throat> but they're being decimated by the wild harvest because there's huge demand on the coasts, mm. Brooklyn and, and San Francisco, and web marketing. So the resource is going away. So we want to make sure that when you buy the biomedicinal, you know that it's been replanted. And so we're working with the, the, the college with the 640-acre forest, but we're working with a lot of other people to expand that. So I've been being aware of forestry for a while, so this was another indigenous and local people, because of my work with the Cherokee in eastern North Carolina, uh, became natural. To, and I, you know, I, I wanted to tell the story of this business to the SOCAP world, which we were able to, but they couldn't understand the forestry part. When I talked to, to the folks who were focused on sustainability, they couldn't understand indigenous wealth. We need a new way to look at things beyond where SOCAP can look and beyond where the green events can look. So let's step back for a second and talk about SOCAP yeah, a little bit. Sure. And as part of the, that question, I guess, there's a lot of people here from a lot of different projects and disciplines yeah. and areas. So how are you connected with all these people to get them all yeah. together in, in uh, one place for a week? Well, we went out and met people and found what they wanted that was in common. So we, this event, Regen, kind of goes from urban entrepreneurship uh, as the path to wealth for marginalized communities where neighborhood economics plays to carbon farming and uh, massive reforestation. So it's, a, it's, a, it, it's much broader than just its people and planet, including what happens in the Mission District here in, in, uh, in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's, it's a, a lot of different currents and themes. But, you know, one of the things of, you know, thank God for Trump in the way that people are doing things for themselves and in their communities that we, we, because the government won't do it for us. So we're, mm -hmm. we're linking a lot of the, the grassroots impetus that is uh, a response to uh, what's happening in Washington. And people are ready to create a, a new economy. Mm -hmm. SOCAP's goal was to make it possible to have the goals of philanthropy when you invest it. So that became impact investing. You can do what you do in giving, but you can do it by investing and get the money back. That was accomplished. But we, uh, because we wanted to get validated by the market as a real way, we had to play by the rules of Wall Street. And we started that 12 years ago. And we're now at 3,000 people from 70 countries. In this new event, Regen, you know, we're not playing by the rules. We're changing the rules. We have to build an economy that works for everybody and that brings the world back to life. Sustainability is not enough. And impact investing, if it doesn't understand its place in the ecosystem, literally, mm -hmm. is not enough. So it's, it's a new, it's a merging of, of a couple different threads. Really, the green thread and the socially focused thread are, are just getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for for our listeners that aren't as familiar with regenerative uh, business, um, could you kind of lay out, I guess, first the challenge, and then talk about how uh, the different ways that it's at least the beginning of the solution? Well, I think there's not 
and it's become clear there is not a commonly accepted definition of what a regenerative business is. There are phrases that make sense like it's net positive on all fronts. Positive for the planet, positive for the people, near zero waste circular businesses. So it's, it's a mixture of, of a little bit of circular economy, donut economy. You know, regenerative agriculture is, is you know, it's an outgrowth of permaculture and the sort of the scaling of the permaculture techniques into forestry and agriculture. Then it's also looking at the water and other things that way. So it's, it's, a, it's a return to how things used to be before the market got extractive. Businesses have been allowed to externalize all their costs. And we only have one planet and you can't do that forever. So this is looking at including all those costs and saying, this has to not be extracted. I mean, there are principles of not being extracted, including the community in on the design of a project in the execution, and then in on the return of that project. So as much as possible, it's, it's, it's returning to indigenous principles of reciprocity and relationships. Mm-hmm. You can't commoditize in the regenerative economy. People have to stay in relationships, and they have to stay who they are. So it's, there are transactions done with great urgency, but we're not transactional. We're staying personal and relational, and not having to just bring part of ourselves to the business and leave the other part away. Mm-hmm. It's new. It's a new way of thinking. And nobody's real clear. We're still figuring it out. I mean, definitions lag. People are acting their way into a new way of thinking. And then we're trying to come up with a definition to explain what what seems to be happening to us. So I would assume that's part of the purpose of having this conference is to get everyone together interested in in trying to figure these things out together. Figure these things out together. And how are you doing it? And how are you doing it? There have been a lot of talk fests around regeneration. And we're trying to bring in people who are actually doing stuff to explain how they're doing it and learn from each other. So it's a, a lot of, we're hoping that we have working groups come out of this on you know, how to fund forestry projects that only pay off starting in five years, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. More patient capital is needed. It's still, mm-hmm. it's still impact investing, but it's patient capital that has an appropriate return. Do you have some ideas about how you plan to carry on the conversation past Friday with the people that are meeting here? There are so many people who want to do local region meetups. And, you know, there's, I talked to somebody who wants to do one in Minnesota and one in Guatemala and one in Sonoma County. And so we've got a, a piece of software called UBEGIN, U-B-E-G-I-N, mm-hmm. where you can start, it's movement building software. So you can start with, you have your group in Marin that wants to do this in Sonoma County, you can gather them and you can connect to the other. So we're starting a bit online. Uh, the folks from the Capital Institute have a platform that they've got about 18 communities that want to be identified as regenerative, all the way from Australia to Canada to um, someplace in the Caribbean to you know the other 12 are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So there, you need connectivity online and you need to meet up regionally and locally mm-hmm. and you need to have big convenings of all the regions coming together. We'd love to be the place where all the convenings come together, but we want to, you know, we're, we're a bootstrap startup. And so we want to figure out how the people can build it with us. So are you intending to have like a monthly, like online streaming meetings? That we we thing? want to see who, who in the community wants to step up to lead that. Okay. We've done it with neighborhood economics. We have a, a monthly conference calls with about 50 different cities in the U S involved in, you know, creating community wealth through entrepreneurship in marginalized communities. And I think we'll, we'll want to do the same kind of thing, but it's volunteer-led until you get a little bit of foundation. Mm-hmm. Kauffman Foundation is funding the network of uh, 
neighborhood economics, and, and Kellogg is interested in it. And you know, that's right in my backyard. The coffee. Ah, yeah, they're here. great. They're great folks, and there's, we're glad to have their sponsorship, and they sponsored this event as well. So they get it. The Kellogg Foundation is interested. We've got some money from Rockefeller, just little bits. Mm -hmm. So you know, we we'll we'll see who does it. It's a uh, money for convenings is hard money to get because these things are. You know, this conference is okay. It, it covered its cost, and it's the first one. But covering the things in between, you know, the, the network building, is it has to be by charity. So in moving forward, I guess this regenerative business movement, what do you see as some of the leverage points? Well, you know, Donald Trump, climate change, and the risk of uh, wealth disparity that uh, Lloyd Blankman, the CEO of, of Goldman Sachs, says is the biggest systemic risk that keeps him away. The guys at Goldman Sachs, the most rapacious of all of the merchant bankers and high bankers, says, wealth disparity scares me. Why are we on top? It feels risky. So all those things coming. All those That's things coming. That's the one who I think would be worried about it. <laughs> he can assess the risk, and he knows that his position is precarious. Yeah. Interesting. So these are not trends. These are we are we're we're in the start of a new era. One of the things that keeps it down is the, is the poverty industry. There are folks who have get getting money from the SBA and government to kind of run poverty programs and business plan competitions, but they don't ever cause businesses to be formed. The new accelerators like Optima Business Bootcamp and Oakland and Border in Cincinnati are causing a real pipeline of investable businesses in these marginalized communities to come forward. So the old poverty industry doesn't like it. So there's incumbents who get money from an old system who won't like this. But, you know, this is what has to happen if we're going to survive. We have to be able to collaborate across barriers in light of climate change. I forget who said this, but he was talking about uh, the, the wineskins analogy. You know, so mm -hmm. regenerative business and regenerative uh, enterprises is new wine. And you, we need new wineskins because you put the new <coughs> wine in the old wineskins right. or the old business and political yeah. model. It's, well, it's going to burst. <laughs> it is, it is. And you know? so that, that was a great analogy. You know where that metaphor comes from? The Bible. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right, I yeah. wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I hadn't thought about, it's a great analogy <coughs> it for, is. It is. for what we're doing here. So, what have been some of the highlights this week for you as far as what you see happening? People working in urban areas, talking to people in from Marin County and Boulder, who can see across devise to see that how they're in it together. You know, we're working with a, a great food person, uh, leader out of Detroit, Davida Davison, who's here from Food Lab. And uh, so it's kind of slow money meets urban food deserts and to see what you can build together. So mm -hmm. I think food is the bridge and it's easiest. I think it's easier for affluent people to see how they're connected to a system when they start looking at food mm -hmm. and then they can say who doesn't have what I have there when they're already connected to it so you know it's hard to be connected to poverty and wealth wealth doesn't connect to poverty easily it doesn't right. want to look at it but food is a way you can start looking at those issues and so I think food will be a bridge as we do some of this stuff I mean, energy is as well but food is it seems to be the the cross-cultural bridge that I think we can build off of. So one of the themes that has come up over and over again the last day or two is the fact that there is a, a dynamic of personal transformation, not only a paradigm shift, which is essential, but 
sort of the inner work of becoming more whole human beings mm -hmm. that has to take place yeah. in order for us to change our social and economic systems. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, in the old economy, you had to show up looking like you're ready for work. You had to dress for success. You had to look like what you were supposed to look like and, and be that part of yourself that could show up and sit in a, a cubicle, you know, or, or sit in a conference room. Here, in this new economy, you show up with all your many diverse selves, you know, <laughs> and not just your business self, you know, your fun self. I mean, we had, you know... Uh, Kronos Quartet. We had a great acapella group yesterday. We've had videos. So it's it's much more culturally embedded. And you don't have to cut off part of yourself to, to just show up and then have the transactional. So it's, it's, it's an economy that's beyond transactional. And you can't commodify anybody. I think one of the metaphors that's really rising, we have a lot of Ohlone here or, or a local uh, tribe who was here in, in various ways. And, you know, we're having sessions tomorrow on decolonizing impact. And I think we have to, you know, we have to, colonialism is a way of thinking, and we have to get back to decolonializing, to indigenous thinking about reciprocity of relationships, mutuality, all those kinds of things. We are all relations. I think we have to get back to we are all relations. So it's, you know, we're not doing anything new. We're doing something very, very old. So how would you introduce these ideas that you just talked about to someone who's got no frame of reference for it previously? I'd find out what they care about. You know, I mean, could it be food? Could it be forestry? Could it be justice? Uh, all those kinds of things. You know, I, I wouldn't be evangelical. I'd want to see what they care about and see how it could connect to this thing that's building. Mm -hmm. And in some places, you know, they're not ready for it. You know, I'm back from Mississippi. I'm, I'm, and it's, you know, when I go back for Thanksgiving, I've learned not to talk about climate change and they won't fly the flag. And so you find, you know, you know the, the commonalities. And, and sometimes, you know, in some places, it turns out you can only watch football on Thanksgiving. That's <laughs> something to do together. So, you know, but yet I'm, I'm finding a lot of opening in Mississippi because they're realizing that the economy is not working for them. Uh, and it's working for them less than it's working for any other state. We've always been the leader in being last. Mm -hmm. And uh, I once told the head of the state economic development department uh, that you know, our motto should be on the bottom and built to stay that way. And his response was, well, that's not how you lure industry. He said, no, that's not how you lure industry, but we should be creating businesses, not luring industry. So, you know, you have to figure out, you find people who are more ready to move you know, it's, it's often not my cousins in Mississippi. <laughs> so uh, tell me a little bit about your origin story. How did you come to this? Well, I started out as a country weekly newspaper editor for the poorest county in Mississippi for seven years. But I'd grown up in uh, the Bay Area, and my wife met her out here in California. And she, her father was about to sell the family weekly newspaper. So I'd, I'd seen Easy Rider, so I cut my hair. And I discovered it was quite a bit different. And so I, I learned uh, how a community was held together. And so that newspaper happened to be in Itawamba County. It was the poorest county in Mississippi. But it was the only newspaper in the world that cared anything about Etiwamba County. And my father-in-law, who was the second father of me, you know, told me the one thing that I learned is that he had to build a community in which his business could survive. So the job of the Community Weekly newspaper was to help the community survive and to know the connections and find out what those people cared about. When we would put out our paper on Wednesday night, we'd have 200 people out front with the street blocked off waiting for it and when the Shriners would have their snow cone machine and the, whoever had a bake sale that week would be it and people would be there to take the 
paper up to the haulers for five or six other people. But we, you know, we, we it worked because we knew what the community wanted. We knew how to listen to a community. So I've been a wandering community journalist, uh, wandering around and figuring things out and making things happen ever since 1975 when I started as a wandering community journalist. Mm-hmm. I, I use the same thing now, and but I do it within emerging markets. And you know, I like to be in an emerging market like the regenerative market economy. The thing, you know, it's, it's both the market and the commons. It's, it's partly in the commons, partly for all of us, and it's partly for each of us. And building communities inside emerging markets is, is uh, you know, you can make a living at that better than you can in the poorest county in Mississippi, but it's the same technique. So uh, you said it's for all of us and it's for each of us. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, that's one of the, the, the real things we had to discover at the start of Impact Investing. It used to be that you would invest for yourself and give for all of us, right? And Bill Gates coined this phrase. We had one of the first impact funds. We got somebody who had been a direct report just down the hall from Bill Gates who had starting a fair trade coffee company to get in the door. And Bill stood up in like a minute. He says, look, you have to stop. So I have two pockets. I have one I want to put all the money in the world in. I have a second I want to put some money in that I do good. If you say there's a bridge between those things, you have to leave. That's an idea I can't be around. He was a two-pocket thinker. One pocket is to invest for me. The other is to give for all of us. When you do impact investing, you're investing in all of us and for yourself. You're breaking down the barrier between your storehouse and the commons. You're investing in all of us and yourself at the same time. So you're, you're existentially in a different place in the world than if you were just investing for yourself and then giving some of the excess. You can be sacrificing some return, or you just are investing in things that could make money, but be be good for all of us and not just yourself. And then you, you realize that you do that within the context of a real ecosystem, and you have to invest in the watershed and your own swimming pool. You know. So uh, we need to wrap up here, uh, but uh, I'd definitely like to talk to you more uh, in the coming weeks. So I guess. In parting, what would be some final thoughts you'd like to leave with us uh, and maybe any place you'd like to point people to learn more about you and uh, your enterprise? Well, I have some sites, but I haven't been... I I write more on Medium. Uh, So Kevin Doyle Jones on Medium is is my more frequent place to write. Uh, I have a blog on the Regen site, but I, I... I try to make them more formal when I get into a blog, and, I, and the things that are working on are Kevin Doyle Jones on Medium.com. But I think it's clear that people liked this and found something new, and they found, you know, strangers are looking to become unlikely allies as a result of this, and that's been our, that's been what's caused SoCap to succeed is that we are able to bring the people in that you didn't know before and help them become unlikely allies. Here, I think we're doing it in a new way and we're looking to nurture this community and continue to serve this community who wants to build a world that works for all of us very good thank you for taking a few minutes to talk thank you this has been great appreciate it and that was kevin jones co-founder of regen 18 find out more about him and that work at regenecon.net you'll of course find a link to that and other resources mentioned in the show notes After listening to this conversation with Kevin, what do you think about regenerative economics, regenerative business, and the vision of a regenerative future? Let me know. Leave a comment in the show notes, call 717-827-6266, email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com, or write The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018.
This episode is part of an ongoing exploration of the intersection between business, economics, and permaculture. David plans to have a longer follow-up interview with Kevin and some of the other speakers he met at Regen 18. If you have any questions you would like to hear in one of those, reach David directly by emailing david at thepermaculturepodcast.com. From here, the next regular episode is a conversation that David recorded with Dr. Elaine Ingham to discuss her work and the soil food web. Until then, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.